0: section 11 of flowers of free thought second series this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org flowers of free thought second series by george william foot section 11 are atheists cruel april 26th 1891 there seems to be an ineradicable malignancy in the heart of professional Christianity. St. Paul, indeed in a fine passage of his first epistle to the Corinthians, speaks with growing eloquence of the charity which thinketh no evil. But the hireling advocates and champions of Christianity have ever treated the Apostles' counsel with contempt in their dealings with skeptics and heretics. Public discussion is avoided by these professors of the gospel of love and practisers of the gospel of hatred. They find it unprofitable. Consequently, they neglect argument and resort to personalities. They frequently insinuate, and when it is safe, they openly allege that all who do not share their opinions are bad husbands, bad fathers, bad citizens, and bad men. Thus they cast libelous dust in the eyes of their dupes, and incapacitate them from seeing the real facts of the case for themselves. A notable illustration of this evil principle may be found in a recent speech by the Bishop Chester. Dr. Jane presided in a town-hall meeting of the local branch of the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, and took advantage of the occasion to slander a considerable section of his fellow-citizens. With a pious arrogance which is peculiar to his boastful faith, he turned what should have been a humanitarian assembly into a receptacle for his discharge of insolent fanaticism. Parentage is a natural fact, and the love of offspring is a well-nigh universal law of animal life. It would seem, therefore, that a society, for preventing cruelty to children by parents of perverted instincts, might live aloof from sectarian squabbles. But the Bishop of Chester is of a different opinion. He is a professional advocate of one form of faith, and his eye is strictly bent on business. He appears to be unable to talk anything but shop. Even while pressing the claims of poor, neglected, ill-used children on the sympathy and assistance of a generous public, he could not refrain from insulting all those who have no love for his special line of business. And the insult was not only gratuitous, it was groundless, brutal, and malignant, so much so, indeed, that we cherish a hope that the bishop has overreached himself, and that his repulsive slander will excite a reaction in favor of the objects of his malice. Dr. Jane told the meeting that— The persons who were most liable to be guilty of cruelty to their children were those artisans who had taken up secularist opinions and who looked upon their children as a nuisance and were glad to get them out of the way. Now on the face of it, the statement is positively grotesque in its absurdity. If secular principles tend to make parents hate their own children, why should their evil influence be confined to artisans? And if secular principles do not produce parental hatred in the wealthier classes why does dr jane hurl this disgraceful accusation at the poorest class of unbelievers it cannot be simply because they are poor, for he was delighted to know that poverty by no means necessarily meant cruelty what then is the explanation it seems to us very obvious dr jane was bent on libeling skeptics deeming it safer to label the poorer ones, he tempered his valor with a convenient amount of discretion. He is not even a brave fanatic. His bigotry is crawling, cowardly, abject, and contemptible. Dr. Jane relied upon the authority of Mr. Waugh, who happened to be present at the meeting. This gentleman jumped up in the middle of the bishop's speech and said, "'It was the case that the class most guilty of cruelty to children were those who took materialistic, atheistic, selfish, and wicked views of their own existence. Surely this is a fine derangement of epitaphs. It suggests that Mr. Waugh is less malignant than foolish. What connection does he discover between secularism and selfishness? Is it in our principles, in our objects, or in our policy? Does he really imagine that the true character of any body of men and woman is likely to be written out by a hostile partisan. Such a person might be a judge of our public actions, and we are far from denying his right to criticize them. But when he speaks of our private lives, before men of his own faith, and without being under the necessity of adducing a single scrap of evidence, it is plain to the most obtuse intelligence that his utterances are perfectly worthless. We have as much right as Mr. Waugh to ask the world to accept our view of the private life of secularists. That is, we have no right at all. Nevertheless, we have a right to state our experience and leave the reader to form his own opinion. Having entered the homes of many secularists, we have been struck with their fondness for children. The danger lies, if it lies anywhere, in their tendency to spoil them. It is a curious fact, and we commend it to the attention of Dr. Jane and Mr. Waugh, that the most skeptical country in Europe is one where the children are the best treated, and where there is no need for a society to save them from the clutches of cruelty. There is positively a child cultus in the great French cities, and especially in free-thinking Paris. In this Bible and beer-loving land, the workman, like his social superior, stands or sits drinking in a public house with male cronies, but the French workman usually sits at the café table with his wife, and on Sundays with his children, and takes his drink, whatever it may be, under the restraining eyes of those before whom a man is least ready to debase himself one secular home at least is known to us intimately it is the home of the present writer who for the moment drops the editorial we and speaks in the first person my children are the children of an atheist yet if they do not love me as heartily as dr jane's or mr Waugh's children love their father there's witchcraft in it there is no rod and no punishment in my home we work with the law of love striking a child is to me a loathsome idea I shrink from it as I would from a physical pollution, strike a child once, be brutal to it once, and there is gone forever that look of perfect trust in the child's eyes, which is a parent's dearest possession, and which I would not forfeit for all of the prizes in the world. I know Christians who are less kind to their children than I am to mine. They are not my natural inferiors. Humanity forbid that I should play the Pharisee but they are degraded below their natural level by the ghastly notion of parental authority. I do not say there are no rights in a family. There are, and there are also duties, but all the rights belong to the children, and all the duties belong to the parents. Personally, I am not fond of talking about myself. Still less am I anxious to make a public exhibition of my home, but if the Dr. Janes and the Mr. Waz of the Christian world provoke comparisons i have no fear of standing with my little ones opposite them with theirs and letting the world judge between us draw me again into the editorial style we have a question to ask of the bishop of chester or rather of mr waugh it is this where are the statistics to justify your assertion men who are sent to gaul for whatever reason have their religions registered give us then the total number of convictions your society has obtained and the precise proportion of secularists among the offenders and be careful to give us their names and the date and place of their conviction we have a further word to all sorts and conditions of libelous christians where are the evidences of atheistic cruelty the humanists of the roman emperors were those who were least under the sway of religion julius caesar himself the foremost man of all this world who as a professed atheist was the most magnanimous victor that ever wore the purple Akbar, the freethinker, was the noblest ruler of India. Frederick the Great was kind and just to his subjects. But on the other hand, who invented and who applied such instruments of cruelty as racks, wheels, and thumbscrews? Who invented separate tortures for every part of the sensitive frame of man? Who burnt heretics? Who roasted or drowned millions of witches? Who built dungeons and filled them? Who brought forth cries of agony from honest men and women that rang to the tingling stars? who burnt bruno who spat filth over the graves of paine and voltaire the answer is one word christians yet with all this blood on their hands and all this crime on their consciences they turn round and fling the epithet of cruel at the perennial victims of their malice End of section eleven.